Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Well, wash your ears out with soap, you sway-backed hoople heads, because today's episode of I Was There Too is all about Deadwood. My name's Matt Gorley, and this is the show where I talk to people present in the great scenes of cinema history and TV. That's right, I said I'd do it, and now I've done it. And what a show to do it with. Deadwood may be my favorite television... No, I'm going to go on record right now and say Deadwood is my favorite television show of all time. I spoke to Stephen Tobolowsky about it when he was a guest on this show, and it got my wagon wheels spinning. It's a show unlike any other, and if you haven't seen it, just turn this off, take a quick 36 hours, and get it done. It's amazing. The language is part Shakespeare, part back-alley filth, and all brilliant. So brilliant, in fact, that it becomes impossible to have a discussion about it without using words that would make... Not just your grandma, but Andrew Dice Clay blush. And for that reason, probably don't listen to this episode with any kids or Christians or kid Christians or kid Christian, the Lord's boxer. I'm kidding, though, Christians. You make your own call. Kids, ask your mom, dad, or legal guardian. So today we're taking a different approach to this program. My guests are Paula Malcolmson and Sarah Lund. Paula played the series regular Trixie, and Sarah played a featured background actor named Sarah. They both played whores of different stripes, saloons, statuses, and statures. I wanted to get the idea of what it was like on the set from different perspectives. But the best part, as you will hear, is that it didn't seem like it was that different. This episode began under the pretense that Paula would talk about her role as Katniss's mother in the Hunger Games franchises so as to better fit the concept of this podcast, but as we emailed, we both realized that we only wanted to talk about Deadwood, and that seems to be the case for anybody that's ever been on this show. They love to talk about it, and thank God for that. I'm also very happy to say that Paula Malcolmson's emails are written in very much the same way her character Trixie would write them. When asking if this interview would be on camera and hearing that it wouldn't, she replied, Good, I'd rather lick the fucking floor than be on camera. And it was then that I knew that this would be my favorite podcast of all time, ever. 
And then what's more, I had Sarah Lund on the show, who just so happens to be my girlfriend's sister, and she told me the story of how she had to have a bathtub fitting for her big scene, and I was all at once happy and became one with the universe. And if that isn't enough, there's even a little talk of the tenuous future life of Deadwood. So, sit back gentle, set your lips to a bottle of brown, and take an earful of the best load of it you've ever heard. <laughs> you limber dick cocksucker. Sorry for cursing, but you, I'm just priming you for what's coming up. Here we go. The TV show, Deadwood, the year 2004 through 2006, the role. Trixie, the actor, Paula Malcolmson. Well, Paula Malcolmson, I'm, I just met you and I'm already don't want to <laughs> let you go. Let's just get right into it and talk about the language of Deadwood. Do you at all recall a favorite phrase of curse? Because I have one. It's from Ellsworth and it's, ah, fuck us all. Anyway, for the limber-dicked cocksuckers we are. That's how we like started out. Yeah. That was sort of the bar. I think that was in the pilot episode. It is your scene with him at the end, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Where he wants to pay you a dollar to hear your troubles. Yeah. A dollar and I'm a like, minute. you know, what I got on my chest doesn't concern you, Ellsworth. Oh, as I have a gun between my tits gun. that I've just acquired, a derringer. And then I think my favorite one, it's not so much a curse word, but it's sort of a, a cautionary note to all man was um, Tread Light, who oh. lives in hope of pussy. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I want it tattooed. And I want it on, I want it ever. I want on your tombstone? Everywhere. It was just such a great one. You know, she, she comes in and she's explaining, you know, and the sort of prelogue to that was something about the Ten Commandments that Moses had, was advice to Bullock that Moses had already done the heavy lifting with the tablets and so forth. <laughs> and maybe if he could lighten up a little, it might ease some of the, you know, the strain. Because she sort of hated Bullock. She saw him as a hypocrite. And then uh, Soul Star said, guidance for me. And, her, and she thought for a second and said, tread light who lives in hope of pussy. Was that the uh, beginning of the uh, origin of the relationship between Saul and Trixie? Because originally your character was only supposed to make it to see, or episode four, right? I, that's what Milch said. You know, he started, I said at the very beginning, kind of like, what should I read? And he said, read about saints. And I thought, no, fuck you. You're not killing me. <laughs> I, so I, you know, be, made myself necessary, you know, indispensable. You sure did. And... And and I sort of knew the moment when that happened. I was like, oh, I'm home free. He's not going to kill me. And what was that? It was the scene where I don't remember what the episode was, but um, it was a Friday. I can't remember. It might have been episode two or three. And it was a Friday. So Dave traditionally went home on, early on Fridays and because um, he was there for every single rehearsal, every, you know, pretty much the shooting of all things while writing the show, because we had everything on. We had our writer's room on the ranch. Everybody was together. This is Melody Ranch, right? It was Melody Clarita. Ranch, yeah. yeah. So it was Friday, and the director said to me, do you have, at lunch, do you have any thoughts about that scene? And I lied and said, uh, well, Dave and I spoke about it last night. And uh, right off my, the, you know, I don't know, back then my brain worked better than now. Um, and I said, yeah, I'd like to do something sort of biblical with a, with something to do with his feet and, and, uh, you know, have maybe a, and dangerous and have a cutthroat razor that I'm shaving his corns with. Oh Cause my, my, my dad used to do that to my granny and it, the image just came into my mind. And, um, 
so we did that. So the director loved it because it had been sanctioned by David, he thought. That's brilliant. In fact, it had not. And um, and so we went ahead and, and we're, we're shooting it. And um, I improv a line, something like, you want to, I should do the other foot. And he and Swearingen came back in, looked at me and said, please. Where do you get the balls to just suggest that to the director and say that the right that's already been sanctioned by the writer? They were, it's called survival. <laughs> <laughs> and... In a town of liars and, uh, you know, con artists, yeah. I figured, why not be one more? And also it was just, you know, sometimes when you're a woman, it's better that it's someone else's idea. God damn it. You know? Yeah. Um, but also I was just cheeky and only like, you know, I, I, I hadn't quite reached the level of cynicism that I have discovered in my 40s. <laughs> But yeah, yeah but it. but that was that kind of, it was that kind of show where you were on your toes, your ideas were fresh. It was in a way a, a sort of a sense of you know you got to live the part in that you had to survive, and you had to be smart and you had to be aware and understand your relationship to your actors, etc. So you know, it's it's sort of it was sort of very. I hate the fucking word organic, but it was organic in that w- regard. That's what and, I've heard about this yeah. show. And and I've had a few run-ins with people from this show in varying capacity. And I always ask them. I, I never harass actors about their work or anything. But this is the one exception because I love this show so much. So I've talked to Jim Beaver. Yes. I think Garrett Dillahunt a little bit. Right. Um, and I've always asked them because my understanding is that Milch will really work on your character arc, what he's getting from you. He That's lets right. that inform the writing. So that yeah. must have happened if you were slated to die. And then I, I at an audition once I ran into Richeson, the old man. Yes. That, and I asked him that he was just a background extra. And then he was just But he just of, had that great look. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah. And we just sort of started to bring him into the sort of four, you know, because it was there was something so great about that. It was a very comedic team yeah. with um, E.B. Farnham, oh, you know, yeah. Bill Sanderson and, and, and Richardson. And it was like, okay, this is just too priceless. Or Dave also chose, you know, there was one guy who he decided he was a background actor. And I loved all those guys because that's what made our show so authentic and amazing. But he became the titlicker because... <laughs> Wait. Yeah, that's Remember right. I, I do, and he would do a run by titlicking. He would do right? a run by titlicking, <laughs> and Dave would make it a thing because there you are, and on the day you never fucking know what he's going to want to throw in. Oh. So we worked in that very, you know, yes, we all came as prepared as possible, but Dave's Dave talks a lot. I mean, he's a, he's sort of the most amazing man, but he ta- he talks about visions come to prepared souls. That's mm. sort of his motto in life. And basically the preparation for that job is to sort of, you know, to be to be ready to go, to lift your skirt and jump, you know. Uh-huh. Especially if you're a man, lift your skirt. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that was it, just to sort of have faith in the thing. And so how much do you think your your whole character arc over three seasons – it was never written. It was it no. evolved over the three seasons. And and were there any points during the run that you thought, okay, this is a definite fork in the road. I saw this happen. He didn't plan this. I didn't plan this. But together we found it. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, I fe- I felt that quite early on. I think by about episode four, 
I felt like we are doing this dance. He's watching me. And, and he would come and say, you know, his language was so precise, but he'd say, what's a good word for? And he started to ask me those, maybe as a kindness, but I think he knew how much I loved language. And, and you know, he'd say, what's a, what's a great way to say killed himself? And I'd say did himself in or something <laughs> yeah. like that, you know. And um, to certain... Uh, Directors would try to enforce their will onto things, and Dave would say, "Step back, let let them do what they're doing." Mm -hmm. You know, um, but there was definitely. I remember at one moment the relationship with Saul Star. That just came out of a need. I think David saw John and I talking one day, and the idea came to him that there was something very, you know, necessary for Trixie and for Star. Something for her, he was water in the desert for her, you know? Yeah, I remember watching and felt like I never would have thought it myself, but when I saw it, it made total sense. Yeah, and it, it did, it, and it did, did. and it yeah. felt that way. And John and I have a certain uh, simpatico, you know, as as human beings. And I think that's where that fed the thing, you know? Uh -huh. um, and just so many, sort of so many of those, you know, how Trixie was sort of, um, she was in everybody's business, <laughs> Well, that's... That's you. <laughs> not in a fucked up way, but I just sort of am like the mother of all the, pe the people. When I walked children. in, she was going through my wallet. Yeah. yeah. I, well, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's a standard greeting. <laughs> uh, I trust you. Uh, what was the preparation time like from beginning to end? Because my understanding towards the end, he would just come in some days and say, all right, here's what we're going to do. And it wasn't even necessarily written yet. Not written yet. So um, how do you memorize those Baroque fucking lines in go, that amount of time? You just don't. You, I don't. I, like I said, could I do it now? I don't know. McShane could do it still. Really? Yeah, I'm working with him now on Ray Donovan. Yeah. He's coming. He's doing a, a an arc this season in the third season. And that guy still got those chops. Really? I don't know. I don't know if my brain hasn't deteriorated I to the point know. where I don't know either. It It was just, what was the choice? The choice was you either look like a fucking asshole and you're behind and you look like you can't keep up with this amazing group of actors or you fucking do your shit. And that must have happened for some people, right? Or did everybody pretty much... Pretty uh... much everybody did it. There were a few who were more fearful of it than mm -hmm. others. And, you know, just because that was their process, it wasn't that they were lesser actors sure. by any stretch of the imagination. It was just that that was not how they could work with material. So when they got three-page speeches, they needed a bit of lead time. And sometimes they didn't get it. Mm. You know, I... Bill Sanderson used to go around with the fucking sides in his boot. Really? Oh, yeah. So he could see him in the moment? Yeah, or? and he'd stand and he'd always think he forgot his lines. And he didn't. He never did. He was amazing <laughs> and brilliant. But he, his fear was always that he was going to forget everything. Uh -huh. And that's what made that character so genius. Because yeah, it, it was it just fed into the insecurity. And, <sighs> you know, I remember one day... I'm supposed to open the... He knocks on the door. He's come up. We're in the hotel. He comes up to, you know, sort of announce some bullshit, some disgusting fucking pile of shite as usual. <laughs> and he's supposed to knock on the door. I answer. And they call action and there's no knock. So I just open the door and Bill goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, I forgot to knock due to self-loathing. <laughs> Wait, say that again? What? He said, I forgot to, <laughs> I, just, 
I forgot to knock, knock the door due to self-loathing. In that voice, too, I yeah. imagine due to self-loathing. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. And that God. was just it. So everybody was so exactly who they were supposed to be. And what was so beautiful about working with Dave as well is that you were allowed to be entirely yourself. And that's so rare in this business to be absolutely accepted for with all your shit and your complexity and shadow. I mean, if, if, so we were all a bunch of strange ragtag people, you know, everyone had, I mean, everyone does have this, but he just encourages you to be your fullest, you know, and that's what interests him. And that's what interests me as an actor too, to be able to, you know, play all the, all the parts. So let's talk a bit more about Trixie. Your very first scene, you have to come out of the gate swinging. You're crying. You've just shot a John through the head. Right. <laughs> this is your first scene. <laughs> it's, and, and we just come into the room and it's already happened. Did you shoot that as your first scene chronologically? Was that the first day on set for you? Do I you remember? I don't remember. But how was that? It might well have been just the first day. Sinking or swimming and trial oh, yeah, by yeah. fire. I mean, exactly. do you remember anything about that experience? I just remember that McShane really did stand on my neck. Jesus. Really and truly. Um, Not only is he standing on your neck just for the listeners, but he's pulling your arms. Yeah. So there's tension. So, so I was black and blue by the end of it. And and any actor that tells you when they do stunts they didn't get hurt, they're fucking liars. <laughs> well, they are if they're working with Ian McShane. <laughs> but he's. It, but it was like it was. I, it was sort of good because I was like, yeah, you need to be choked here. And um, yeah, and scenes like that are. Uh, you know, you do go home and you drink a bottle of whiskey and you cry your eyes out. I, it's kind of what it is. The, they take their toll. I mean, you sort of, and then you get back up and you do it again. But it's like there's, there was something about playing her and playing a whore that when you play a whore, people treat you like a whore as well. Really? Yeah, they kind of do. It's just, it's they don't mean to, but it's just kind of like, they just, there's a, there's a thing that happens. Um, people project a lot of their shit onto you. So um, it is interesting to, 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 to play that part. And I think the first year was quite tough. So yeah, scenes like that were not easy. They weren't easy to do. But, but I love, you know, that's what I thrive on is that sort of shit. That's the sort of shit that's made my bread and butter for me, you know, uh -huh. of going in and just like cracking it open and not kind of ask, you know, like I never, I, I made a point of never asking questions. Really? Ever. Because you just answered your own, thinking that Milch would want you to do that in the first place? <clears throat> what it would be was, if he'd written it, it was worth trying. So even a scene like, you know, later in the series where I shoot George Hurst, mm -hmm. and I mean, the screen directions, the stage directions were something like, she opens her shirt, shows her tits, walks across the thoroughfare in front of hundreds, hundred people, walks up the stairs, knocks on the door, pulls up her skirt, shows him her bush, and then shoots him. And I was like, excellent. Now, a lot of people might say, well, why am I showing him my bush and my tip? But for me, yeah. there was always a method to it. And I think the thing that hangs people up is why? My, my, it, you know, the service that, the, how, how I can serve a great writer or any writer is to give it a fucking whirl, <laughs> you know, before I say, well, why would I do this? 
because there may be something in there that I can't quite, you know, if I try to intellectualize it, I'll be fucked. So I just, just go for it. Was there anything you tried out that didn't work and you had to do it a different way or? Well, there often is. Yeah. Or there'd be stuff like I have an extra impulse. Um, You know, in the very beginning, um, I think it's at the end of the pilot or I come in to bed with with Al and um, I think this is the right scene where Dave looked at me, he goes, what, what is it? And I said, I want to fucking hit him. And he goes, well, fucking hit him. You know, stuff like that. This is so, early in season one. I yeah, know what you're talking about. It's right. not the pilot episode, but I know. Yeah. Because yeah. the yeah. pilot episode, I think I just got my kid off and like got into bed with him and you, put, yeah, the you put the gun by gun his bed and didn't offer. hit him. Yeah. Yeah. But that's kind of a way interesting callback that I don't think I caught before. You bring the gold in, but this time it's fuck you. Because when you bring that gun in the first time, how much of that for Trixie is obedience or is it love or both? What What are you thinking there? At that point, I was just kind of wasn't sure. There was something, and I, you know, people say, well, you got to make a choice. I'm like, I didn't know what the fucking choice exactly was. Maybe she didn't. Well, that's right. Yeah. She didn't quite know, but she, it was, it was a sort of a, it was, there was some, some obedience in it, but there was also defiance when I think about it now, which is I could get this fucking gun and I could shoot you, but I choose not to. Yeah, you can show him that. Yeah, and I showed him that. So, you know, but it was also, I'm surrendering this to you. And in a way, what what he'd done with, uh, what he'd written in that scene with um, the choking, when I shoot the John and and he chokes me out, it's what, I talked to the cowboys about that, and they said that's what they do with their dog to break their will. And I was like, yeah, you got to break, you got to break the will. But, you know, however, her will wasn't broken because that's the nature of her. And that is probably why you were his favorite, right? That's right. Yeah, the spirited yeah. one. Yeah. Do you think that, or do you, are you aware of any storylines for Trixie or for any of the other characters that were talked about but never came about? I once spoke to Jim Beaver who oh, played yeah. Ellsworth and after, spoiler, you should watch this if you haven't seen it, but. Jesus, his, guys, if you yeah. haven't fucking seen it, yeah. I mean, stop you jerking off. cocksuckers, get out so, there and turn on a goddamn TV. <laughs> Unless you're too afraid of amazing language and great, uh, great writing. He said that he talked to Milch about a season four, and all Milch alluded to was that Ellsworth might not be done and then made some suggestion of a ghost or something like that. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> he probably just said, Milch, Dave... The the thing about Dave is Dave, and he truly means it when he does it, but he promises a lot that you can't always deliver because he's so good and his his nature is he he wants to make everybody okay and he can't always. Sometimes uh-huh. he has to make harder decisions than that. It's entirely possible. I don't know. I don't think we would have had an Ellsworth ghost, but <laughs> it was so... Um, I mean, the killing of Ellsworth was we knew someone was going to die and we didn't know who, so we were all fucking shitting ourselves. <sighs> shitting ourselves. I can imagine. Every script and every page you're turning must be Oh, my God. Heroin. I mean, and it, I, I really was like, oh, it's going to be me, and then people were looking at me weird, and I was freaking out, and I was like, oh, fuck, it's me. And I, and, and I thought that a couple of times. Um, well, it's, it's logical to think it was you after shooting Hearst. That's you, right. Yeah. 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 But, you know... Dave was always subverting the audience's expectations. 
which is what I love about a show like Deadwood or yeah. Sopranos or whatever is we don't give them what they want. You don't give them what they want. Mm-hmm. You you do the, you know, you keep them guessing. I think Billy Wilder said something like that, you know, keep they'll love you for it if you do that. And that's sort of what's disappointing about doing other other shows sometimes. It's like you're following, you're doing exactly what's expected. Yeah, you were spoiled. How spoiled, er- fucked, totally fucked. How early in your acting career did this come along? How long so had you been acting? I was acting for, um, let's see, since I was about 21 or 22. And Deadwood came about, so I had about 10 years of just doing the usual shite that, but, you know, learning to be an actor, but Deadwood made an actor of me. How you did know? you get started? Um, I got started, strangely, I was working in a bar in the East Village in New York and a guy who was a filmmaker um, asked me to be in his movie and I was like, well, why the fuck would I be in a movie? I like being a bartender. This is awesome. This is like amazing. I loved it. Um, And then I started to realize I did it for him and then someone else asked me to do a much bigger thing, which was Tombstone. Oh, yes. Yeah, Ali Earp. Yeah, Ali Earp. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to fucking be an actor then since I'm good at it and I make loads of money. It was a lot for me coming from Belfast with and nothing. You were Sam Elliott's girl, right? I was. I got one good arm yeah. to hold you, Ali. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But that just came like sort of, I didn't have to do anything to get those jobs. Um, and so then I had to, you know, be like every other actor and decide to sort of commit to it. Um and I had a lot of disdain for it for a long time. I thought it was like the people were neurotic and, you know. But then I learned from doing theater and stuff that, oh, you you really, this is real work, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm sure that this comes up a lot. But the, every year or so, it seems rumors abound of a reunion for Deadwood. I know. It, it, it probably will never happen, will it? I right? just talked. I saw David recently and he was even talking about it. What? I know. Give but me then, everything. I don't know. I mean, the idea was something like it's going to be 10 years later now because it is 10 yeah, years later. it's literally 10 Well, years I can't – I don't think I can do it. What do you I, mean? Because I work for Showtime. They'd never let me for – for in a million years, they'd never let me. So I, I can't imagine that you could get all those people together. And, you know, Dave said he was walking the set of Deadwood. Um, it was in the docu- – it was in the – commentary stuff where he said it remains in the in the sort of realm of the untold Mm -hmm. which gave me like such it was like a ghost you know this feeling of like that's kind of maybe that's where it belongs if ever there was a show that belongs there it's right yeah and it's something about how it wasn't wrapped up it never got bad there was still so much to tell it's had, had such promise and you know, there it is. It's really curious, too, because from my understanding, and you can totally correct me if I'm wrong, is that Deadwood really started very clear and clean, and then by the end, Milch was kind of just letting it go organically, like yeah. you said. And it almost seems like his career has gone that way as well with John from Cincinnati and Luck, that it's a little bit more grabbing out of the ether and putting it in. 
You worked on John from Cincinnati. I did. I watched that show. It's a little controversial because it never got wrapped up and people no. don't know really what it's about. But I really wanted to see where that thing was going. And do you have any insight on that? I don't know if he knew where it was going. <laughs> that feel confirms like my suspicions. That's what I, I was trying like to say. I feel like he didn't. But the thing is, never, ever underestimate David Milch. Ever. Because the man is a true genius. So, but I feel like I know... If you can know him at all, I feel like spending three years sort of at his feet. I just remember, so it was the end of John from Cincinnati and we were doing the final episode and all the people were gathered and Dave made some rousing speech about like how, what was going to happen next season and how, you know, all this shit was going to, and this was what was happening. It was all this sort of, he was invoking Hemingway and the Bible and all sorts of shit. And I turned to I uh, think Luke Perry and I said, we're canceled. Because <laughs> <laughs> I fucking knew it. I just knew what it was. It was. <laughs> oh, that I would. I watched that show with absolute trust with. Yes. Him. And you were also in Lost. So Lost is another show that's about a mystery. But I never felt that they, they didn't even, have a fucking yeah. clue. And maybe Milch didn't with John from Cincinnati, but I trusted him to like take me along in the journey. I never really trusted that with Lost because no. it felt, I don't know, it felt a little manipulative or something. And, right. And I even crave for John from Cincinnati to come back because I miss that Milch fix. And I agree. Yeah. I guess the last question I have then is, is working on something as magical as Deadwood and then going to something as huge and blockbustery as the Hunger Games. Right. What's that like? Is that, I mean. I didn't do anything in the Hunger Games. I just looked stricken. <laughs> I, well, her, that's literally your character. Stricken. She, she, yeah. She's I mean, incapacitated, right? She's, she, yeah, she's catatonic or something. But like they took that a little to the extreme in the movies. <laughs> Um, which at first I was like, oh, come on, I'm, I'm good actress, give me something to do. I can hold my own. And then I thought, fuck it. Is this what, if that's what you want, I'll, I'll be here happily and, you know, truly be a supporting actor. Mm -hmm. And that was fine. You know, someone asked me about my character. Deadwood's the only thing that I really, really, really love talking about. And maybe it's because I have some time on it. Mm -hmm. As well, you know. I'm so glad that you do because th just to be able to sit down and talk with you about it has been so great. For but me. everybody does. Everyone who worked on it feels the same way. It seems that They've way. They've just got yeah. stories up the ass about it. It's really, really lovely. Oh, well, it should be that way. Yeah. And if for some goddamn reason you haven't seen this show, don't listen to this. Go watch it all then listen to this. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's one of the best, if not the best. Yay. Thank you, Paula, so You're much so for welcome. talking to me. You I'm were so fantastic. Happy. You're just the fucking bee's knees, you yeah. limber dick cocksucker. And Cunty McCunterson is now forever etched on your table because everyone signed this table here and yeah. that's what I've... That's a little Easter egg inside thing. If you ever get in the Earwolf Studios and you sit down and see names like Paul F. Tompkins and, uh, oh God, Zach Galifianakis and Rob Cordry. Well, now there's Cunty McCunterson and you know who that is. <laughs> Thank you, Paula. <laughs> Thanks. This episode of I Was There Too is brought to you by Loot Crate. Would you classify yourself as a geek, gamer, or pop culture nerd? Then this is the subscription box for you. For less than $20 a month, you get six to eight items of gamer and pop culture licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, unique one-of-a-kind items, and more. Make sure to head to lootcrate.com slash IWTT and enter code IWTT to save $3 on any new subscription. Hey! 
Every month there is a different theme and all items are curated around that theme. They're all inspired by classic movie and video game releases, as well as pulling from pop culture franchises. This year thus far there have been crates featuring some exclusive items from Star Wars and Voltron. Remember Voltron, where all the animals get together to perform a man? I think I have that right. As well as some epic geek apparel and an awesome retro gaming-inspired mashup figure. A crate all about strategy games. A crate all about covert operations. And there is only more awesomeness to come. Basically, Loot Crate is like a friend who knows what you love and surprises you with an awesome present every month. You have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. And when the cutoff happens, that's it. It's over. So go to LootCrate.com IWTT and enter code IWTT to save $3 on your new subscription today. It's like Avon for total nerds. Hey, I'm back again. It's me. What could possibly be better than listening to a podcast? Seeing it live in a movie theater in high def. On July 28th, the year of our Lord, the podcast festival cast party will beam live from a stage in New York City to a cinema near you. The lineup includes great shows like Invisibilia, Radiolab, Reply All, The Truth, and best of all, Earwolf's own Lauren Lapkus. That show is the best. Plus music, dance, videos, and more. Be there on July 28th and see with special guest Lauren Lapkus live on screen for this high-def live Samuelcast. Samuelcast. Hey, Samuel. Help me with my diction. For tickets and more information, go to castparty.org. Samuel. The TV show, Still Deadwood. The year hasn't changed. The role, this time's different. Sarah. The actor, my girlfriend's sister, Sarah Lund. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Matt. When I heard that the girl that was my new girlfriend, Amanda Lund, had a sister that was on all three seasons of Deadwood... Not that I needed any more encouragement to fall for her, but that was really the the central for the it. deal. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, <laughs> that do you was remember how excited I the was? Icing on the cake. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So y- let's let's lay it out. You played a lady of the night at the Bella Union Saloon, right? A, you... a prostitute. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And your character name was Sarah, right? Yes, Sarah. Yeah. So, so let's <laughs> let's go back to the beginning. How did this even begin for you? How did you get involved with that? Okay. Well, I'm so jealous. So <laughs> I would have been a whore in the Bella Union to be on you, this show. I mean, I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot of wardrobe. Have you ever worn a corset? <laughs> no, but I'm willing. Well, we can work on that. You okay. know, I got a lot of wardrobe. I know. Again, yeah. So. Yeah. That's right. We'll talk about it too. You're a wardrobe master. Yeah. So, so much to you, say. You say when, and we could we could do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So let's see. Well, I was um, I was going to Otis College of Art and Design, and I was I think. I think my sophomore year is studying fashion. Um, and one of my roommates, Harmony, uh, was doing just like the, you, I mean, everybody knows about this, the central casting background work. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, I'm like 22 years old. I'm like, all right, I can use some money during the summer. Um, and at the time I think I had red, red hair, like boxed, like, like, you know, terrible, like uh-huh. box color, red hair. Um, <laughs> So anyway, so the first thing, I don't know if, I don't remember if I submitted or they submitted me. I don't remember how it happened was I got a call and they're like, well, you've been photo selected for an HBO show and it's like a Western and you're a prostitute. And I'm, I was just like over the moon. Yeah. You know, it didn't basically at this point, Deadwood did not exist. It existed in development with, you know, everybody at HBO and everybody on that, you know, but it, it, it wasn't out there in the world yet. Uh-huh. So I was just thrilled that I was going to be wearing costumes and like a, you know, a period piece and be a whore. Hello. (laughs) Um, so it was all very exciting. And, uh, long story short, Deadwood is really the only background job I ever did. So 
I, you know, I sign up for central casting, bing, bang, boom. My first gig is Deadwood. And then, you know, the, the way they worked is they, you know, they kept me on for three years because there was, they wanted to have a consistency with even, even down to the background, you know? So anytime they shoot in the Bell Union, they want to have the same like six or seven girls there. So you're not having just like, you know, randos. It has to feel like a place. I remember when, cause I've watched the series through so many times. And when I met you, I remembered you from Deadwood and then Amanda hadn't really watched the show all the way through. So we, like I introduced her to the full run of it. And we like, right when we were dating, went through and watched. She all didn't of them. tell me that she watched it. She and I had a little, had a little thing because you know, she, uh, Amanda oh, Lund is, is, Scoop is, dish. is, is an actress, yeah. is a writer, actress, uh, comedian and she's been doing pretty well for herself lately and I'm very proud of her but um in our in our youth when I was in my early 20s and she was taking acting classes and I think still and I don't know she's still in college and like doing she was living in your closet at one point at one point she was yeah (laughs) she was living in my closet um but now hopefully soon I hope to be living in your you guys closet if you have a guest house happening you know so return the favor uh but back to that so I I gave her a little um nudge in the rib saying, Oh, I'm on an HBO show. What are you doing? Uh, <laughs> you know, but when really, you know, it's, it was just a lucky, you know, a lucky thing. And I, I'm in, you know, um, you've known me now for as long as you've known Amanda. Yeah, four years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and it, we have our, our anniversary, I think is the 4th of July. Yours and mine. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that was the first time I met you. It you was. Came to our house yeah. For- and Amanda's and mine as, as a dating couple is the 3rd of July. So I met you guys the day after we basically started dating, which was really quick. Yeah. Yeah. Turbo. Yeah. Well, this isn't even about Deadwood anymore, no. <laughs> <laughs> but we watched the show and then it was fun to watch it knowing who you were yeah. and to be able to pick it out. And also you probably were able to, you know, I have to say like the first two seasons, I think the first time I was even showed up to set and they used me as a background. I think it was, um, the introduction uh, into the belly union where there, it was like full of activities and, um, and you know, powers booth, um, Cy Tolliver, the character, yeah. it just, you know, it was, I just remember it was the most crowded they had ever, uh, that had ever been inside the belly union when they were shooting. Cause it was like, they had just uh, come into town and brought all the all these like fancy schmancy Chicago whores in, and uh, you were one of the court. fancy schmancy Chicago. Yes, whores, huh? yeah, that's a whole no- that's a whole other thing. The difference between the gem and the Bella, and, right. and uh, there's you a little the bit of quality gals. Yeah, we were the quality ones. Yeah. Um, but I think they had me in a you know I think I had red ha- red hair at a time, and they had me in like a dark brunette wig. Oh. And I remember the first time I ever saw myself on Deadwood, I'm walking up the stairs. I think maybe Kim Dickens was there shooting her. She was walking down Joanie and I just, Stubbs. yeah, Joni Stubbs. And I'm like walking up the stairs and I remember I was like, that's me. Oh my God. Uh, you know, um, for being just a background player and going in blind and never doing, never have done background work before anything, um, of the such and being a person who's really into like just wardrobe yeah. and, and just dressing up and all that fun stuff. I mean, I was put in, Throughout the throughout the three seasons, I literally had my own wardrobe, like ten piece wardrobe. So for me to be able to come to set, like if I know I'm working one day, I know I go to I automatically go to my rack, and I you know I put on my like my my petticoat, my bloomers, and my stockings, and my my girdle, and like you know whatever hair pieces they have, and it, 
I mean, I I just ate it up. All of that I comes across it. on that show, and I think that's part of the reason why when I talk to Paula Malcolmson on mic and off mic, she's like, "There's no reason to talk about any of the other stuff I do. Let's talk about Deadwood. It's oh, all I no, care about. Yeah. I'm spoiled." And all of that detail comes through, and the fact that they go to such lengths for even the background actors is it's, amazing. It's incredible. I mean, the fact that Deadwood, that experience for me being a part of that family, but still a very small, minor part, you know, um, that's been a highlight of my life. I mean, I, I loved it. Yeah. I would get so upset if I couldn't, like, they'd call me to come to set and like, can you work tomorrow? Can you work Tuesday or whatever? And, and if I wasn't available, I would just like, it would break my heart. Cause even if, you know, you, you get to set, they, you, they you put you through hair and makeup and, and wardrobe and it's like three hours prep and you end up sitting around because they don't even get to your scene. Which they're... is probably pretty common on oh, that yeah, show, oh, right? Because yeah. we've talked about oh, this yeah. with the others and you and I have talked about how David Milch is just flying by the seat of his pants. Oh, but I loved it. Uh, I mean, I mean, I know it was like because it's such a massive crew, like, down, you know, they would have a day where they would call the um, – what do you call that? The people with the horses, the, like the equestrian, uh-huh. you know, they, you know, they'd have to call the equestrian people in because they're shooting something in the thoroughfare. You know, they need all the effects stuff. If they need the, um, the, the thoroughfare, the, if it, if, if it's in the morning or something and the ground is muddy, you know, there's, that was the first, my first experience really seeing how much goes into, um, filmmaking and that's not doesn't has nothing even to do with like you know all the writers and and camera and and all that stuff it was just it just blew my mind like i could talk about it till the cows come home and i was just lucky enough to just have been there every once in a while to have lived in it for like you know 12 12 hour days you know 14 15 hours a couple times when we went into overtime how was powers booth powers was amazing really um he, you know, he off he, when he'd be on he'd be on set and he's Cyt Oliver and he'd be offset and he's also Cyt Oliver, <laughs> you know, because he's what he walks around he's kind of concentrating and going over his like going over his lines in his head and he, and he has his like cigar that he he always kind of has in his mouth and has in his hands and he's very gestural and um, yeah I loved it. Well, let's talk about the day that you got moved significantly from background actor to featured player. So, uh. so I'm glad you're here because I've always wanted to address what it's like to do a nude scene in TV oh or film. So I'm glad that I know you. So I would have trouble asking that with someone that I didn't know. But then on the <laughs> other hand, you're my girlfriend's sister. And then I feel weird about that. No, too, so. no, no, no. I mean, but I know I'm, you, I'm, I'm both modest and not modest. At yeah. The same well, time. you're the best combination of both. I have to say I've inherited you're practically a sister-in-law already. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, I I'm always like, "Oh, my brother-in-law's on TV again <laughs> trying to trying to sell me a whatever Volkswagen." <laughs> um, okay, so when you got news that you were going to be in a scene, did you also find out right away that it was a, basically a bathtub scene or how did it happen? I have I have this whole story. Okay. I, there's this a is, story. This there's is a why story. this was made. There's a story. Take and over. And most of the story is probably just all from my point of view, how That's I, how right. I saw be. the process. Good. I don't want anything else. Um, I was... <laughs> I was I was on set one day and I was just in my full wardrobe, full, full regalia, and um, they were shooting. I think uh, I think they were shooting two units that day, and I remember one of the sound stages that was kind of by um, 
like where all the the trailers were, where the editing they had some editing bays and writers' room set up, um, and they were shooting some interior scene. So we were we were out at the Bella Union, like in the where the more where the sound stages are in the thoroughfare, and uh, we had heard that they had some good crafty over <laughs> over there. So I wander over there to the sound stage, and and I was uh, just kind of poking around and I, they had these shrimp skewers, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. I got to go off topic. Sorry. So I'm, uh, I'm snacking on these shrimp skewers in my full corset and hair and, <laughs> and just, just, just whoring around eating some shrimps. And, um, David was there and anytime I'd, I'd seen David on set, I, you know, he's usually doing his thing where he's, he's either directing or he's pacing around heavy in thought. Uh-huh. And then coming up with suggestions. So if he's, if you're, you know, if he's around, he's usually either doing his thing or he's kind of silent and just like with his head down, pacing around in thought. It's very interesting to see. So I see him and he kind of paces, paces by me. Right. And I'm just munching on some shrimps <laughs> and then he paces by me again. And so I turn and he's go, oh, sizing you up. He's sizing me up. And I say, Oh, hi, David. How are you? And he's like, he kind of like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. good. Nice. <laughs> nice to see you, you know, or something like that. And, uh, basically I think within two or three days I get a call from the second ID and they said like, Oh, D- David has put together a scene for you that he had you in mind for. And we'd love for you to do it. And, uh, they say it does involve some nudity. You're in a bathtub in the, in the Bella union. And, um, the scene involves, it was, uh, Peter, Jason, who he plays, plays Con, Con Stapleton, Con Stapleton right? which yeah. is like kind of the uh, another one of uh, Cy Tolliver's little kind of yeah, minions. Yeah, yeah right. Stooges. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he definitely um, there's definitely a, a, com- a comedy a comedic element to his uh, his character. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, Cy Tolliver power, powers booth. So, you know, I think I don't know if they sent me the script or, or not. I don't remember exactly, but I know that I did actually have to show up at Melody Ranch um, for a bathtub fitting. What? Six like authentic, like old fashioned bathtubs. And so I would sit in one and then they'd look at me and then I'd get up and I'd sit in the other. <laughs> and then they look at me again. So I literally had a bathtub fitting <laughs> and once I, I, I think once I showed up to set and I got the sides, I might've like, I think I probably like read that part of the script that I was going to be in, but didn't fully understand it. So, um, but that morning I remember going, Oh, okay, this makes sense because I guess where the, where the character development came from that, like somehow I'm all of a sudden con Stapleton's like favorite, ba- favorite. Yeah. <laughs> um, Within within that season, um, the theater troupe comes into yes. town. Yes. Oh, right, right. So she's yes. she's a busty, sensuous blonde. Yes. So I think what had happened is that um, Con Stapleton had had a little fling with her. That's right. So he becomes <laughs> sex obsessed, and and not this only reminds me of the time we went to the Air Supply concert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a whole other story. <laughs> but really quickly, the lead singer of Air Supply. First of all, it's a we're it's me, you and Amanda, yeah. your uncle Steve and Cindy, and, and we're front front row. And he is in love with you the whole time. <laughs> he just keeps mouthing like, "You're beautiful. I love you. I love you. 
you're, you're beautiful. Really quickly, just in a sentence or two, finish the story. Yeah, he, well, he made the he made the he made every uh, the crowds of women that were bust up these middle aged women, right? Yeah, are all up towards the stage, just wanting to touch him. And he literally makes them part yeah. and beckons me yes. to come up to yes. the stage so he can rub my hands sensuously. And meanwhile, I forget what his name is, but he's like an old, very old, very much old, older and man. a little guy. And he's like five foot three or it's five foot four. Still bringing it, man. Still bringing it on still stage. Bring, I was still bringing it. Yeah. But like, let's, you know, if, if any of you listeners are not familiar with me, I'm a, I'm almost six foot tall and I'm a. I'm a full-figured gal. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then uh, you Googled him later, right? I Googled him later, and it all came together, and I texted Matt and Amanda. I said, aha, I've, I've got it. So I found a picture of – I had a feeling I bet, I bet his wife and or daughter is like a voluptuous blonde. <laughs> and it's both. And it's both. So he's got this like beautiful, you know, bodacious wife, and then his daughter – we look very similar. Yes. So okay, I kind sorry of had for ins- the instinct, yes. but yeah, you know, it's, it's nice to be liked. <laughs> it was a relevant digression. So similar thing with character of Khan. Uh, so the day we filmed the scene, um, you know, I was in the trailer and Janie comes in and she's like, here's your wardrobe today. Whereas I'm used to like 12 to 13 piece <laughs> yeah. layers of frills and fancy. Um, there was three pairs of nude underwear. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, like a Those thong are, oh. and a, and a brief and, yeah. a, you know, and, and me being in, in more understanding more about wardrobe. Now there's all these different ways that you do nudity. Like there can even be just like this little tiny crotch that you stick onto your, uh, your, like a big band aid. But I didn't have to wear that. I just wore a pair of underwear. And then the makeup, um, this makeup woman came in and she airbrushed my entire body. And so that's I'm, waterproof. Yeah. Oh wow. I mean, it's movie magic. They, I, I mean, get some of that. they have, I, I do too. Uh, it was pouring rain. And so we went to set. Um, and I remember, cause I'm just in a robe, you know, and I remember they're taking me on the little, on the back of the little golf cart and it's uh-huh. like pouring rain. And I'm thinking, all right, I'm about to do a, <laughs> do a nude scene. Yeah, how nervous were you? <laughs> well, I, mean, I be also, are you nervous just for the fact alone that you've kind of got a substantial acting part to do? That's tough. That's enough. true. But see, I didn't have any lines. So it, it was, you know, it was more excitement. Yeah. It was more excitement. Um, for the nudity thing, I had actually done a scene with some of the, some other girls, um, I think a month before. Oh, okay. And it was basically, we're all like cleaning, cleaning, we're in like a back room. That's right. And yeah. some of us are topless. So I ended up doing, I was kind of really nervous for that because that was my first little like thing where I was topless. So when I had uh, previously filmed that scene, I kind of went through that whole thing like, like when I remember when I got home, um, I stood and I looked in the mirror and I remember this very specifically. And there's actually a scene from Curb Your Enthusiasm that it kind of reminded me of later. I remember standing in the mirror and talking to myself like, look what you've done. What have you done? You you can't take this back. <laughs> you, it's over. Like you, what have you done? Like, it just like, like touching my face, thought. just yeah. like, and, uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, there's an episode where, um, where I think Larry's like gets some weed for his dad's glaucoma and he he's in the mirror and he's completely high, high out of his mind. And he's like talking to himself, like, who are you? Look at you. You've done, you don't know, you don't know what this is. And anyway, I always have that kind of flashback moment. So I'd already kind of been done that before. Uh And this, when we filmed this scene, it was more just excitement. I was nervous. I was excited. Um, I was excited for the attention. I was excited. Um, that I alone was going to be in a scene with two 
super talented actors that, you know, I've seen work, like work consistently for the past, the past uh, two seasons. And I actually was going to be one of yeah. three in this scene. It's such a memorable, funny scene too, because isn't he doing like sub submarine yeah. commands with you guys so in the water? He, and... he, so I think what happens in the scene is, uh, uh, Powers Booth, Cy Tolliver, um, comes into one of the rooms, which is one of the upstairs rooms at the Bella Union, and I'm in a bathtub, nude, and uh, I am being bathed by Con Stapleton, and he kind of goes in, like, the way he's behaving is in this very kind of infantile, yeah. uh, boyish, playful, um, yet sexual... Yeah, <laughs> um, somehow... Uh creepy and uh adorable at very, the same very time creepy. i have a hard time saying that it's but, very yeah. yeah it's very um afterwards i i felt like i i kind of when i when i saw the scene i'm like wow i look like a sex baby <laughs> like you, you know when you see when you when you yeah. see like like you know like a pampers commercial or something like johnson and johnson and there's like a baby in a bathtub yeah. and the mother's like washing the baby and it's like giggly and chub, chubby that's kind of how i felt <laughs> And that's kind of what was happening, except for the fact that I'm a grown-ass woman. And if you're watching on a full screen, like, my areolas are, like, the size of a fist, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's, it's sexual, but at the same time, I think that... Um, the com the comedy element. It's well to done it. comedy, yeah. It was very well done. Yeah. So some of the lines where he was like captain to the galley and like all this stuff and you know talking about the rudder and like and he he's basically has his hands over one of my breasts yeah. and is talking into one of my breasts like it's a uh, you know like a submarine horn. Kind submarine of thing. horn. Is, is exactly. this scripted or is he improvising? No, this, this is this is all scripted. But at the time, um, I think we did, you know. A scene like that, that was like, I think that was five or six hours of shooting. Wow. And it's a just a little blip. And within. is the water cold? No, it was, it was interesting. It was, it was warm water and they, and they even had one of the, um, one of, I don't know if it's like the FX prop guys, but he had this little tiny spinny fan. That's like one of those handheld fans. Yeah. And so he would have to dip his hand into the water to froth it. Oh my God. It was, it's very, it's all very well thought out. And, you know, we're shooting, they 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 turned around like f it must have been at least four times. So you know, there's one shot where I'm in, I'm in the tub and I'm actually s not sitting in it naturally. They've got me boosted up on these apple boxes, oh. so I'm kind of just like if in reality <laughs> the position I was in. So you could see, you can see my breasts and my belly and a lot of flesh was very unnatural and uncomfortable. But um, so they've got a camera. You know, like there's a guy with a camera literally. F in in my face at the end of the tub and then there's some will be somebody shooting over you know like um peter's shoulder and like uh -huh. so it i think I got, I got really used to it so oh i think i lost topic here but we um we had taken a break or something and then uh david said something and he's like i'm gonna throw you some lines he's like or actually i'm gonna give i'm gonna have you play some of his lines so i, I don't remember exactly what they were but uh he was saying like captain to the galley. And then I would take my other boob and I'd go, this is the captain. Like, burp, 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 burp. um, <laughs> so I did get some lines. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just had to, oh. um, but it was great. I, I mean, I loved it. And by the end of the day, I was so sad that it was over because 
it wasn't anymore where like I'm just kind of like this piece of flesh sitting in a tub and I'm nude around all these clothed people. It's like I just did a scene with Powers Booth. So I, I loved it. I ate, I, I ate it up. I'm so glad to hear you talk about it. There's one last thing I want to cover, and that's how, um, you know, Margot, the fat guy, is a regular guest on this <laughs> dumb show. And you're basically the only person that somehow she obeys or somehow she like <laughs> respects. I don't know why. So you often come stay at our place when we have I to do. go out of town and she, it never seems like Margot's happier than when you're here, even with us. Aww. Like you, you seem to just, I don't know. She seems to get I along well with you. I am a bit of a cat whisperer. Yeah. I, I have so. to admit I have two cats of my own. Um, Cause I just came home from being out of town and I walk in Margo normally will meet us at the door. She doesn't. I come and I see you two in the living room and she, Margo's just looking at me like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and meanwhile, I think I was very sensually caressing her, her buttocks. That's probably like, giving her the, the battle right there. That's where, uh, and I probably, that's where I won't go. I probably sneak her a couple of extra treats. That's what I'm thinking it is. But it's just a few. It's just a few. <laughs> I think, I think also, um, Margot, as you probably all know, is very vocal. Yeah. She likes, she likes to give verbal. I can't believe she hasn't busted in on this interview. I know. It's shocking. Well, I think maybe I've worn her, worn her out. Um, but remember I told you, I was like, suey. Suey. <laughs> that is not far off. Suey. Margot. Here she comes. Oh. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for oh, being welcome. on my show. It was only a matter of time before this was going to happen anyway. It was always in my sights. You're welcome, Matt. My huge thanks to Jesse Gloyd and my good buddy Daniel Michikoff for making the interview with Paula Malcolmson happen, to Paula herself, and of course to Sarah Lund, my girlfriend-in-law. That's probably not right. This is the end of I Was There Too for this episode. Please email me at IWasThereToPod at gmail.com if you have any way to connect me to someone that might be perfect for this show. That's how it's been working lately, so thank you very much for making that happen. Also, please send in any questions you might have for a future listener mail segment. I'm Matt Goyley, and am reachable as such on Twitter and Instagram. Okay, listener heads, report back here in two weeks for a brand new episode. Good night. Pop. 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 Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear. Dolly, y'all! This is Tony Rodriguez. This is Carlos Santos. This is Riza Licea. And this is Oscar Montoya. When our powers combine, we are Spanish Aquí Presents! We have a brand new podcast here on Earwolf, bringing you the best of the best of lo mejor of the Latinx comedy. Join us every Tuesday as we chat about what's going on in our lives, Latinx culture, and ¿qué es lo que? Lo que no está picando. Lo que te pica. Don't worry, we'll tell you what that means if you listen. We'll also be joined by a new guest every single week. We'll get to know a little bit more about their lives. Every single week. Uh-huh. And then we'll make them sit back and watch us improvise their lives right back to them. Improvisation. <laughs> Spanish Aki Presents premieres July 16th. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Hola, Nezea. Spanish Aki Presents. <laughs>